Well, after many days of deliberation, a jury in the trial of Canadian musician Jacob Hogard uh, came to a conclusion yesterday. Uh, he was found not guilty on two to three counts uh, after they reached a verdict in the sex assault trial of the former Headley lead singer. He was found guilty on one charge of sexual assault causing bodily harm to a young Ottawa woman, not guilty of sexual interference and sex assault causing bodily harm uh, to a 16-year-old fan. In March, Hogard was charged in another alleged sexual assault after an incident alleged to have taken place in June 2016 in Kirkland Lake, Ontario. Well, following the trial all along, uh, has been Canadian press court reporter Paola Lorigio, and she joins me now. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Um, I guess to start with the latest uh, bail conditions today were strengthened, but uh, but the uh, but he will be given. He has been granted bail. I gather the the Crown was asking that that be revoked until sentencing, but that has not happened. Yeah, um, the judge did acknowledge that the conditions needed to be uh, tightened because his situation has changed. Uh, He has now been found guilty of a very serious charge um, and he is facing potentially a pretty long, uh, potentially a prison sentence. Uh, And so there is a bit of a flight risk and there's certainly a lot of public interest uh, and the need to maintain public confidence in the justice system. So all of those things required some kind of change to his bail conditions. But the judge found that those things could all be addressed through um, stricter bail conditions as opposed to just keeping him in custody until he's sentenced. So what was decided today? Um, quite a, a few different uh, conditions. Uh, one of them has to do where, where he's going to live. So he has to stay uh, in his Vancouver home or some other pre-approved locations. Uh, we've heard that his wife, who is one of his sureties, has some work-related travel um, at some point this month. So he'll be allowed to go with her um, as long as they stay together during that time. But he also has uh, like a curfew. He has to be home between the hours of 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. unless he gets prior approval or there's some kind of major family emergency, uh, that kind of stuff. Um, he, he also can't uh, contact any of the complainants and they've put up quite a bit of a, a bit of money in terms of um, uh, kind of as a, a security for his bail. So if, if he breaches his conditions, they stand to lose quite a bit of money. Uh, if you could take the listeners back to the courtroom yesterday, the jury mm-hmm. deliberated for a long time on this. Uh, we understand that it was really about the notion of consent, since mm-hmm. admittedly a sex had happened in these cases. Um, ultimately, the, the jury the jury reached verdicts, and 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 was it was it a surprise to those who had covered the case how it was decided? Um, it wasn't, and it wasn't to a degree, just because um, we had heard already. Uh, that the jury was deadlocked on some counts. So we knew that there would probably be some disagreements at some point on some of the the different charges. But I do think this particular combination was a surprise to a lot of people who were watching uh, the trial. Um, And it was certainly, I think, a surprise to um, Hogarth's wife who was there. Um, I was, you know, paying attention as the verdicts were read. And I think as is quite normal when the first two uh, not guilty verdicts were read out. I think uh, she probably got her hopes up quite a bit. And then the third, um, the third count, the guilty uh, verdict came down. Um, You know, I think the entire courtroom was quite uh, stunned uh, at that point. It was, it was a very dramatic moment. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I I mean, what has he been found guilty of? 
Um, so he has been found guilty of sexual assault causing bodily harm, which is an aggravated form of sexual assault. Uh, he's also been found not guilty of that same charge for uh, the younger of the complainants and also not guilty of sexual interference. And that's a charge that relates to uh, sexual touching of someone under 16. I gather that these two cases were quite similar uh, and that that part of the issue here was that uh, certainly the Crown was trying to present these as sort of a pattern and the jury decided that one of them met the burden of proof and the other one didn't. How did that work out? That's the big mystery, right? Um, The thing with jury trials is that we don't really ever get to know. Uh, what exactly they found. Um, You know, in Canada, jurors are never really allowed to uh, disclose deliberations and the things that they talked about. So how they got to that verdict, um, we don't really know. I'm sure some legal experts will be able to provide some insights as to what the reasoning might have been. Um, it's true that there were some similarities in the uh, in the stories, and absolutely the Crown argued that that should be seen as Um, a pattern of conduct that would be used to kind of boost the credibility of both complainants. Um, And whether or not the jury found that was the case, um, we actually don't know, unfortunately. Yeah. This this would have been obviously a difficult case to prosecute. I mean, you, you, these are these are essentially this is essentially to go back to the to the awful old term of he said she said. Um, but there was there was evidence here presented that that would have led the jury to certainly convict on on this one charge. It is. It does come down a lot to credibility. The thing with consent is, uh, you know, at, at its very core, consent is determined based on the subjective perception of the complainant. So one of the things that the jury would have had to find in order to find a guilty verdict is that um, the complainant subjectively felt that she did not consent, that she did not want that to happen. Um, There's other steps that they have to go through after that, but at its core, they have to find that based on what she said or did at the time that they find that she subjectively in her mind did not want that to happen um you mentioned this earlier this could mean a prison sentence when will we find out more about about what sort of penalty uh he will face so we don't have a date for the sentencing yet um it will or it's expected to happen sometime this summer obviously they don't want to spend too much time uh, before he finds out uh, what what his fate will be uh before he's sentenced there will be a sentencing hearing which is when um the Crown and the defense will kind of make their their submissions on what they think a fair sentence would be. And it will also give uh, the complainant, um, you know, the one involved in the charge that he's been found guilty of, um, it will give her a chance to come before the court and kind of lay out in her own words what impact this has had on her. Um, and, and that, you know, the courts really do make an effort to uh, give... Uh, complainants and and victims of crime um the opportunity to to explain how they've been affected uh by what's happened and that that does play a role in sentencing yeah the the victim impact uh statement Mm -hmm. in in other words uh and i i gather there now that we now know because you've reported this recently there is now another charge that uh, that he now faces another uh, another charge Mm -hmm. we don't know a whole lot about that one um basically um it was laid in March. He was charged with uh, sexual assault causing bodily harm. So the same charge uh, in connection with a woman. Um, and 
this is alleged to have happened in 2016, which is the same year that these other allegations date from. Uh, and it's alleged to have happened in Kirkland Lake. So in, in late June in Kirkland Lake. Um, and uh, about that time, Headley was playing a festival there. Uh, Paola Lariccio, thank you so much for your time tonight. I appreciate it. Anytime.